Greetings, programs, and welcome to a new episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. The podcast where we review two new things every week. My name is Matthew, and joining me, as is usual, is Simon. Say hello, Simon, hello. to all of our listeners. Hello to every single one listener of our listeners. Yeah. And I hope you're doing well today. We actually have more than one listener, and that, that makes me smile a lot. Because <laughs> we yeah. never... Uh, it's never really something you think about, but it's very, very nice. But I, I'm okay. I, as I was briefly telling you off air, we had a sleepover went with uh, one of our daughter's friends last night. So I was on a hotel shift making breakfast for a million people and then taking them to the park. So let By me a tell million you, people, do you mean two small girls? Two small girls who had full breakfast and they're like, can we have a light snack? And their light <laughs> snack was two bowls one after the other of dry cheerios that they ate with their hands in a fist formation like like they are uh, none of this uh, is they've shocking just emerged, they've just emerged from a famine and the first thing they see is cheerios and they're sort of animalistic fisting this into their mouths and and just after i fed them uh eggs and bacon and toast and jam and apples and everything uh Apparently Cheerios is where it's at, and the only way to eat them is dry with a fist. <laughs> that that's accurate. I don't see why you're ever surprised by any of this. I just uh, my understanding of children, not having any of my own, but my understanding is of children is that they're effectively just hobbits. So you feed them breakfast, and then they're like, "Well, that was lovely. But what about second breakfast?" <laughs> <laughs> you're going to eleven Z's later. Eleven Z's uh, afternoon tea. You know, <laughs> just. I just assume they're eating all the time to fuel uh, the ridiculous amounts of growth in their bodies. My son in particular now eats more than I do. Like his portion is bigger than mine. And you're going to, you're, you're feeding us later. And you're going to see this firsthand as he likes, you put a plate in front of him and he, he, he does that thing you do where he kind of blinks and then the, you, the universe kind of shifts and all the food is gone. And he's like, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was good food. I assume there's more. <laughs> like, uh, yeah friendly. yeah that i did enjoy accurate to, to our listeners at home if you want an idea of how quickly matt eats we went to see a show once and we were hungry afterwards so we went to mcdonald's and uh matt bought uh two burgers and i bought one burger and we were walking over the georgia viaduct and i looked away briefly and he had he started with two burgers and then he had half a burger remaining like in the time it took for me to look slightly to the left and back again <laughs> like, i mean i don't, I don't, it's I don't not, know how you do it it's not out of the ordinary i'm a large person you yeah know? i reckon like, you got some lizard some lizard like jaw dislocation thing going on where you can just push the food like in. i am i am somewhere between six foot four and six foot five i guess i'm a meter 94 in canadian um it's rather, rather large and i'm quite tall and i'm I'm not going to disclose my weight, but I will say that it is in excess of 100 kilograms. It's like, I'm a large person. So, you know, um, eating is just a thing that I do. You know, it's, uh, you know, when we make, when I make dinner for my wife and I, which I do several times a week, because uh, we trade back and forth, uh, whenever I do the portions, though, it's very much mm -hmm. a, like three fifths, two fifths in my favor type situation, mm -hmm. if I'm being like stingy. <laughs> That's fair, though. I mean, I, it is. My wife is. I'm a large person, and my wife is kind of a small person. So, it's, and she doesn't have a massive appetite as well either, does she? Oh, no, no, like a, she, she does. She, oh, yeah. okay. Anyway, but compared to, I mean, it's all uh, relative, man. It's all relative. <laughs> yeah, I just remembered on that. I know we talk about this every time we feed you, but the first time we fed you, we were trying to. <laughs> we made, was it a lasagna or something? And we made extra. My wife and I were all, you know, we tried to save money by um, eating, by making more dinner and then having it for our lunches the next day. So we did this with a lasagna. And, and we did this huge, like, portion. And I was like, that's nice. Can I have a little bit more? I'm like, of course you can, friend. Help yourself. The whole of the rest of the, all of the lasagna just. Gone. Oh yeah, and I ate your lunches. I remember but that. But that's that's a good, you know. There's there's cultures where that's a massive compliment, and luckily this is one of them. So, um, uh, I always makes me happy that memory. Yeah. Uh, so what are you cooking that's... for us tonight? 
Let the people want to know now. I honestly, I'm not cooking. I don't actually know the answer to that question. I'm on cleanup duty before we have guests, and and Dan is cooking, and it's it's. uh, I'm pretty sure it's a dish you've had before, but I don't know exactly what this. She made us. We were covering the Oscars once, and she just turned up with something Mexican. It was like an enchilada or something. Oh yeah, Uh, do you remember that? That was so good. So good. I don't specifically remember that, but like, I enjoy that your memories of my wife's cooking are like the best <laughs> thing I've had in that particular calendar year. And I'm like, that was a Wednesday. That was a Wednesday. I think. <laughs> and also, I like how stubborn she is when it comes to spice levels because I, I'm pretty sure I said no, I don't make mine spicy. And she's like, no, no, you're gonna have it. You're gonna have it as it comes, which is spicy. And uh, she was right, and it was fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Good. My wife so is an excellent, an excellent cook and a connoisseur of sauces. So eating <laughs> here is a privilege. So she is, she is one of these people that sneaks hot sauce in her handbag to restaurants, which I, I do enjoy. I mean, she's the person. She's the person that does that. <laughs> so how are you? How's <sighs> how's everything? What else have you been watching apart from the two things that we're going to talk about today? Is there anything else? I know we're both enjoying Andor. And, we are both um, enjoying Andor because it is excellent. Uh, I've been getting, I finally been getting Dan into watching the, what we do in the shadows TV show. So mm-hmm. I've seen all of it, but she's well into season two, two now, which is mm-hmm. excellent. It means she just went past the Jackie Daytona episode. Oh yeah. Just a regular I... human man. <laughs> in there, like clearly they just said, let's just let Matt Berry just do whatever he wants for an episode. Just let him go. Let him work. I actually think, as much as that is a, a great Matt Berry episode of television, I think it's actually a really good Mark Hamill episode of television as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way he sidles up to the bar and says, uh, one human alcohol beer, please. is <laughs> <laughs> pretty iconic. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, that's yeah. good stuff. Um, um, I've been enjoying um, and Lower Decks and Star Trek Prodigy. My kids really like star trek my son loves star trek way more than star wars so he's very happy with um prodigy star trek prodigy which don't if you're listening at home you see this on crave you think oh, i'm not watching that it's a star trek kids show it is but it's also absolutely fucking brilliant show it's a really good exciting uh episodical star trek Really yeah, any any adult nerds who look at that and say that's a kids show, but then also confess to having watched, you know, Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels and Star Star Wars Resistance, like mm-hmm. you're the target audience, my friends. So just watch that show. And uh I, I can't say, but Michael Giacchino is had a very good day when he composed the music for that show. And it is every time that show comes on, I just whack it right up and put the soundbar on and tell everyone to be quiet because it's a tremendous in fact all the star trek shows have really good themes like specific themes with that kind of sorry what do you uh, what do you do when the music comes on uh i what did i say whack it up oh do you not say that here (laughs) i mean we 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 say something like that and it means something totally different i i Oh, I turn the volume as loud as I can go without bothering the neighbors. I whack it up. I whack the volume up. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, crank, that doesn't mean you, I'm. You crank it. Oh, you I, crank the I, volume. I don't, I don't masturbate furiously uh, if I start to load it. But the the all the themes, like the Lodex theme, is fantastic as well. I really like how there's. You can tell it's Star Trek, but it does like different things. All the different themes have that familiarity. It's very good. Well, it's sort of the the beauty of current Star Trek is that there's kind of something for everyone because each mm-hmm. individual show uh, is very identifiably Star Trek, but also very unique and interesting with their own mm-hmm. and the sort of core values of Star Trek, uh, which is one of the things we complained about a lot with Star Wars, that it's all trying so hard to be Star Wars. It's what makes Andor such a breath of fresh air. Oh, that it, my God. So you could just make that any, like, you know... Um, Story a revolution in any any culture time period, it would still be a good story. Um, it yeah. just happens to be set in Star Wars, and uh, I, I I love it. I love it a lot. I love it a lot. Uh, I, I found this episode with Andy Circus kind of heartbreaking, and I oh, amazing. Oh my god, amazing. Yeah, 
that that whole mini arc in the middle was just like watching theater the particular the last episode was like watching an incredible piece of theater it was amazing the writing is the third quarter of the first season of the show can you believe that yeah i certainly can we're only getting two seasons so we're Yeah, yeah i know oh well hopefully the reaction to it is giving them a bit more of an idea of where Star Wars should go in the future, which is prestige and good. Like, <laughs> don't worry about everything else. Don't don't be so focused on fitting it into everything else. It's just brilliant. It's, it's making such huge broad strokes and it's doing it so confidently. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's the best Star Wars thing since The Last Jedi, which was the best Star Wars thing since the originals. And uh, I stand by that assessment. Yes. So, what are we talking about today? Oh, nice segue. I dig it. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> Thank we, you. I guess we have hit the 10-minute mark, though. Um, uh, <laughs> banter. Hilarious. Anyway, uh, so we have a one-two punch of Florence Pugh this week. We're going to talk about one movie that uh, was uh, the, the talk of the town and the talk of social media, what was feels like a year ago, but was probably like a month no. ago. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to talk about a new movie from her, uh, starring her, that comes out. Uh, it's in a limited theatrical run and will be out on Netflix next week. But let's start with the controversial choice, um, which is Don't Worry Darling, uh, the weird 50s set uh, horror thriller thing directed by a woman whose name has left my brain, Olivia Wilde, uh, and starring Florence mm-hmm. Pugh and Harry Styles and Chris Pine and Wilde herself uh, and Jim Chan and a number of other people, Nick Kroll. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird movie. Um, <laughs> Simon's giving me the look that says, nah, it's just shit. Um, I, I disagree that it's entirely shit. It's but- shit, yeah. The um the premise is that Florence Pugh is a happy suburban housewife in a fifties esque neighborhood, married to Harry Styles, who works at a mysterious place for Chris Pine, and something is wrong. Something is wrong. There's something rotten in Denmark, um, and uh, you spend. Depending on your media literacy, you will spend either the whole movie trying to figure out what that is, or approximately four minutes trying to figure out what that anyone. is. This could be the first movie you ever watch in your life, and within four minutes you're like, oh, okay, I know exactly what's about to happen. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think it's it, you could easily figure out um, sort of what's going on with not without getting how it's going on. Till later in the movie, but like you definitely know what's going on pretty early. It's not a subtle film. Um, it is gorgeous to look at the production design, the sets, uh, even the cinematography. And I would argue some of the directorial choices are quite good. I think Florence Pugh is amazing. I think Chris Pine is wildly charismatic and interesting. And I think that Harry Styles is in this movie. And. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, I, you know, also, uh, Kiki Lane is in this movie, and she has basically no part. And as I understand it, her most of her role hit the cutting room floor, which is a shame, because she's really compelling in the few moments mm. she does have. I wonder what else she could have done. Like, what else could she have done with that character, though, that would have been even remotely uh, interesting? Because she's there. Her, it's so one-dimensional. Her character is there to do one thing specifically, to drive one other person. and it's there's no nuance to it at all so i'd be really i'm not I'm not going to seek it out but i wonder if there's a, uh her deleted scenes are going to appear on a blu-ray or something i'd be really really interested to see because she's she's really publicly unhappy at how much her character has been cut and uh i'm very curious about that because uh i wonder if the movie made um some different overall choices at one point and then and then just decided to to get a bit more unsubtle uh i would be very interested to see her scenes to try and work out what it might have been because at this point watching this movie there's no other thing for her character to do but but the short thing she did in this film yeah 
I kind of wonder if perhaps a lot of the sort of um, unsubtle environmental stuff that's going on that sort of twigs you that there's something sinister happening here was, I don't know if more subtle would be the right way to put it, but maybe if more of it was her, at least in the first like go round, you know what I mean? There's definitely one part of that's involved with her and her son. There's one very significant moment that is never ever explained in any way. And that's, you, you can, I would not be surprised if that's a pretty fundamental part of her sub story. Yeah. It's, it's hard to speak about without spoiling it, but um, I mean, this movie's been out for a while now. I don't know if spoilers are a real thing, but if you haven't seen this movie, like, I, you know, I would encourage you to maybe not seek it out, but this is definitely the kind of movie that like, if it, if it's there and you're like, Oh, this looks interesting. Like you could definitely do worse. It's interesting because to me, it's not a great movie, but it's also not a bad movie. And I feel like all the behind the scenes talk and shenanigans really overshadowed whatever we were going to talk about with this film. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if, if there hadn't been such drama, I think this movie would have been come and gone and been like next year. We'd have been like, remember, don't worry, darling. It was a bit disappointing compared to the setup we were promised, but then we yeah. would just stop talking about it. Right. Like, Instead, there's all this, you know, unless you've lived under a rock, you're aware that there's all, you know, they hired Shia LaBeouf to play, I think, Harry Styles' part, and then mm -hmm. they fired him, or maybe he quit, or maybe he quit because he was fired, and then Florence Pugh refused to do press because Olivia Wilde started sleeping with Harry Styles, and Jason Sudeikis, her former partner, is good friends with Florence Pugh's former partner, mm -hmm. Zach Brown. and just like, it is just a, a, a total soap opera, total soap opera. And I wonder, That's... like, like I think that that would have overwhelmed the movie, the discourse about the movie, no matter what. But I feel like, having now watched this movie, everyone who gave it a really bad review uh, just was like, really? Like, it's fine. It's totally fine. You know, use it as a vehicle to discover other better movies in the same vein. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I think disappointing is the best word here because Florence Pugh is a fantastic actress and she's fantastic in this. And it's more impressive, A, when she is trying to act opposite Harry, Harry Styles, who, and make no bones about this, is absolutely fucking dreadful in this film as an actor. I haven't seen My Policeman, so I don't know his other work. And he's only briefly in dunkirk uh it's not very memorable but in this he's he's carrying a lot in this and to go from casting shia labeouf and then whatever reason that stopped and then going from him to harry styles is a really <laughs> your cat folio it's a really interesting and bad casting decision that i can't get my head around unless you think about it from the point of view of uh, Olivia Wilde is now bringing her new boyfriend in, and the France Pew, the 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 very very active rumor about this is that France Pugh walked in on Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles uh, having, uh, as Clinton might say, sexual relations uh, of that kind, and then had to deal with this for the whole rest of the filming. And so it's even more impressive that she can hold character at all. First of all, opposite Harry Styles. Second of all, opposite Olivia Wilde, who plays her her friend in this. But um, it's it's full of very strange choices because it does look really good. I think Olivia Wilde is a good film director. I really thought Booksmart was amazing, which perhaps makes this even more disappointing as a follow up to Booksmart, which was a, a brilliant and intelligent film. And this just isn't at all it's when you watch it you instantly know that from the setting and from what's going on okay it's going to be this movie and then it it starts off aping one movie and then it it turns into aping another one and perhaps you're expecting it to be another film and that's the only kind of surprise it holds it's like oh it's not doing this one it's doing that one but it was a the, the choice of which movie it then becomes that's also a bad choice it doesn't work for me at all and there's just so much in this that uh could have had like you said it could, there's potential here for something really interesting and it looks really good and it's the direction is fine but harry stars is just awful chris pine and florence Pugh are both fantastic with what they've got but it's 
what they do have is very subtle and there's tons of open like lots and lots of loose ends Gemma Chan's arc has a very abrupt sudden ending that is not foreshadowed or followed through at all I mean so, I would argue that her her arc has a very sudden beginning middle and end in the same <laughs> scene but yes. uh no, that's a good way of putting it. So I'd be uh, I'd be curious if this was a longer movie. What state was this in when Kiki Lane's scenes were in there? Like, did it have a more subtle exploration of what's going on here? Because what's left over is just it's so unfulfilling on on a basic level. But as you said off air, any time spent with Florence Pugh is not time wasted. She is fantastic in this. She's, yeah, she's really, really, really fantastic. Yeah, and I mean. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the movie, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's unfair or even really a spoiler at this point to say like this is. It's a version of the Stepford Wives, and the question is how. How is it a version of the Step? Like, what is the mechanism mm. of the Stepford Wives setup? And I think when you get there, you'll be like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Whatever. Like, it's not very interesting. Um, no. It's just you know because because every version of a movie a story like this now is like it's a Stepford Wives and what other horror movie are we going to cross it with you know like what horrible thing are we doing to these women but yeah. the thing that gets me is that like oof um, there's a I mean Chris Pine's character is meant to be this like charismatic leader of the the company and in the press they very directly call him out as like the sort of like quote jordan jordan peterson type which he very much is you know a fragile um sexist piece of crap with a small amount of power over or a large amount of power over a small group of miserable sad men and like i feel like that probably could have been explored just a little bit more or in a little bit more depth as well like this movie misses a lot of opportunities for depth would be a good way to put it i think it misses all of them <laughs> yeah. For, uh, yeah and yeah that's exactly what i think yeah. might have been the first state of this film before they they cut it down and they clearly did because um what's the name kiki Humphrey kiki lane yeah was clearly shocked at what came out on a similar it reminded me of when um, the star wars cast reacted to the rise of skywalker how much had been changed and cut out of that like that genuine shock that you think you're acting this arc and then something completely else, uh, something changes in the edit room. So who knows what, what pressure was on to, to do that or whose idea that was. But it it just turns out to be something that step with wives and you think, oh, well, it's, it's probably going to end up being this movie and it should have done that instead of the movie. The other movie it tried to be actually doesn't make any sense at all in the, when you think too much about it. And that's a shame. Chris Pine, it's worth mentioning as well, is really cold and scary in this. And I think he's one of these really talented actors who can do both ends of that schedule. Uh, schedule. Spectrum. <laughs> Jesus. And if you compare him to, uh, say, Wonder Woman. That's the most British then, thing you've said on this show in a long time. What? Spectrum or schedule? Schedule. Chris Pine uh, can, can act at any level on the schedule <laughs> of emotions. <laughs> His schedule of emotion is uh, full of appointments. You can find him at any time. Um, and compare his, his Star Treks and his Wonder Womans to this or anything else where he is devious and cold. And he can do that really, really well. And he is, again, fantastic in this. And I'm sure he had a terrible time making this too. It's very funny to me that in the in the can and all the publicity that Florence Pugh actually turned up to, it was... It was her and Chris Pine and Gemma Chan and Kiki Lane were hanging out together, and, and none Nicole of them went. As well. Yeah, none of I, them went near Olivia Wilde or Harry Styles. There's a there's a great I think it's on TikTok that I think Nick Kroll put up. It's Nick Kroll and I think Gemma Chan in a limo rolling into Cannes and just like shooting uh, footage of the crowds outside and Nick Kroll being like, you're not here for us, people. Like, we know it. You know it. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's on Crave. Watch it if you subscribe to Crave, as I do. You get to watch it for quote-unquote free. 
Um, For no extra uh, charge, I believe. And, is the... and that that yeah, that fifties look is always good. I mean, if it's shot well, it just looks fantastic, and that's why so many film, films like ape it. And, uh, and, so and just to be just to stay on brand, it is not just um, it's not just the fifties aesthetic. It's bright and colorful and like interesting looking. It's not dull and bland like so many other mm-hmm. movies are. It doesn't doesn't look like the color filter they chose was concrete as with yes. you know other larger franchises Marvel <laughs> um uh and their usual color grade so it's 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 really it's re- it's a really gorgeous movie it's a really gorgeous movie and you can really do worse than to watch it and it's on crave in canada now i'm sure it's i don't know what it's on in the states but it's going to make the rounds on streaming services uh it's warner brothers so it'll probably end up on hbo max at some point uh drink there's a it's great drinking there. game a oh. great drinking game is um, take a drink whenever Harry Styles um, uses a different accent, and uh, you'll be too drunk to make the end of this movie. Because there's one, there's one great line in this where it's established that uh, chosen, um, chosen nationality, British, and you've got a theory that's they had to put that in as an ADR because he he could not maintain his strong American accent that turns into like Northern English that goes midway between. I had four different accents in this movie. Um, uh, in Actually, that was when I texted you, so it was about halfway through. That was before the big rug pull at the end. So um, enjoy that. Like he's a, he's as a singer performer, my wife and kids really like him. Great. He can, he can wow the crowds and he knows what to do, but he, uh, he is not a good actor on any level. So I disagree because like he's he's legitimately great in Dunkirk, and I think everyone oh, every once in a while. And I would you say he's though, like, in Dunkirk. Come on, I thought he was great in Dunkirk. Dunkirk is just great, start to finish. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, the uh, I, I did have a theory as to why he's got such a bad British accent for most of the movie, um, but I can't really explain it without spoiling the end of the movie. <laughs> But basically, I think it's a chosen. I think it's a chosen accent because he, and you know, he's actually a dipshit piece of shit, and he's doing what he thinks is cool, and he's not good at it. But the movie itself, like that, would be a great theory if the movie itself bore that <laughs> out in any meaningful way. I think you're doing the legwork for Olivia. Like I'm doing, I have to I'm say. doing a lot of the legwork here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. How many stars so, would you give this movie? I'm gonna go ahead. Swami says two. You're giving it two, right? <laughs> uh, Florence Pugh gets a two. Um, <laughs> um, that's a star each for Florence and Chris Pine, doing their best with what they've got. And mm. again, she she is one of the most interesting actors working at the moment. So two stars. Mm. How about you? You're a I three, should... aren't you? I'll give it three, one for Pew, one for Pine, and one for the aesthetics. Um, and because I think it's ultimately, I think it's fine. I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite bad enough to be bad. It's just not good enough to be anything other than fine. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's like the death, death knell for most movies for me, actually, is that, you know, yeah. they're fine. I never really need to see or talk about them ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. It's a shame. Well, don't worry, darling is out on streaming services now, and do with that information what you will. <laughs> Go and watch Booksmart instead. Like Booksmart yeah. is a much better film, and is is really rewatchable. So go and watch that instead. Yeah, that's a good point. Booksmart's a much better movie. Yeah, and okay. uh, would make a really good double feature with uh, Edge of Seventeen, which you should totally also watch, which is unrelated. Oh, I, still, I know. I've been wanting to movie. watch that for ages. I've been thinking about it because we're also watching The White Lotus and uh, uh, Haley Lou Richardson is in The White Lotus and she's mm-hmm. in Age of 17. Mm-hmm. I like and her. And I, I like her a lot too. Anyway, she's I, in that film. She's in that film you like that I haven't seen still because I don't want to cry forever. Columbo? Columbus? Columbus. Columbus. Yeah. Not Columbo. That's a different movie. It's a different series. <laughs> uh, I should watch that at one point. Uh, you really should. I I completely agree. It's a great, great, great. That's my favorite. Uh, my favorite film of the year that it came out, which was mm-hmm. twenty. Mm, yes. I want to say 
2016. I want to say 2016. I'm not really. I wonder if I can quickly look that up because Letterbox is good that way. 2017. Yes. Yeah. Best movie of 2017, in my opinion. And that was a, a strong year for film, as they all mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, that's very much like, don't worry, darling. Um, yes. let's, let's move on. Uh, and Simon, um, why don't you give us the rundown on our next film, which is called The Wonder. The Wonder playing in limited release right now in cinemas and will be on Netflix uh, on the 16th of November, which is a couple of days from when you're hopefully listening to this. Um, Simon, why don't you give us the rundown? So Florence Pugh is an English nurse who has been called to a small town in Ireland in the 1800s um, shortly after a bout of troubles and after a severe history of famine in that country. And the uh, surprise, surprise, the Irish hate the English. So that's that's what she's dealing with already. And the reason she's been called to this small town is that there is a girl called Anna who... Uh, reportedly has not eaten anything for four months at that time. And she claims to be surviving by receiving manna from heaven. So the a, uh, a collection of local council men made up of a priest and a doctor and so on have asked two people to take uh, a watch over the girl um, in shifts and they're not allowed to talk to each other. So you have Florence Pugh's English nurse and then you have a nun, and so they are, they're having a medical voice and they're having a religious voice and they are trying to uh, ascertain the truth of this story and how she's surviving. <clears throat> and um, as, as it unfolds again, I'm trying to tiptoe around spoilers, uh, as it unfolds through their observations, Florence Pugh starts to uh, get to the actual truth of what's happening and the story is basically about the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that we want to believe and once we decide to believe a story even the truth can't stop us and Florence Pugh is basically up against religious belief in trying to save the life of this little girl who's slowly like emaciating uh, into death and it's hard. I don't really want to say any more. There's lots that comes out about um, her. She plays a character called Elizabeth Wright or Lib, and there's lots that comes out about her past, and she's not necessarily a shining star either. And um, I adored this movie. I absolutely loved it. But there's elements in this film that, uh, based on my background in in theater and in film and i love it as you do i love it when those things mix and this movie um makes it very clear that it would like to mix these elements and uh i loved it i adored it there's so much good to talk about this film like what's what's your feelings about it uh i liked it a lot i liked it i thought it was good I think it has some pretty severe pacing issues. It's very long. It's very slow. And there are long periods of time where very little happens. And sometimes I connect with that kind of thing. And other times I don't. And this is one of the the latter. I, I, I found myself wanting for something to happen at many instances uh, in this movie. Uh, during many scenes. And I... I'm. I don't think it's a bad movie by any stretch. I think it's a really good movie. I think I didn't. I definitely didn't like it as much as you did. Um, but Florence Pugh is incredible in it. The young woman who plays um, Anna is also incredible in it. Her name is uh, Kila. Kyla. Kila Lord Cassidy. Not really I sure don't know how what to what that accent on the eye does in in Irish. Um, yeah, it's probably Nor, Kyla, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I also think that the woman. Elaine Cassidy, who plays Anna's mother, who is also her mother in real life, is also oh, really no way. good. Yeah, their mother and That's daughter in real life. Oh, no way. Huh. Yeah. Um, I think that it has a great ensemble of supporting people. I think that uh, 
you know, Toby Jones and Kieran Hines and Dermot Crowley are always sort of good value when they show up. Uh, and they show up in films like this all the time. <laughs> um, you know, period set uh, where they need an older person with a with an accent to to be a, a, in a position of dubious authority. Um, I actually think Tom Burke is wonderful in this movie. Uh, usually when I see Tom Burke in a movie, I'm like, oh, that guy's a slime ball. That guy's going to be a total piece of shit. And usually I'm right. Mm-hmm. And in this one, he plays a really nice guy. And it's actually yeah. an interesting against type performance in the opposite way that you would usually expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really good as this sort of like... Him and Florence Pugh both are really good as these sort of yeah. uh, emotionally damaged people for various for various separate reasons. And mm-hmm. their, their journey together in the film, I think, is really good. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really slow. It's really slow. I am so interested. So fucking slow. Because for me, it flew by. Like I, my eyes were absolutely glued to the screen at all times, and I, it didn't feel at all long for me. And that really surprises me because usually I'm the one tapping my feet if there's slow pacing. And uh, every, uh, like, I think it helps that for me, uh, all I could see was that every framing and lighting decision turned this into like a painting every single frame was like this painting of that time and i just loved looking at it and i loved the slow realization of what's going on and the uh all the very difficult decisions that florence Pugh was making with very subtle acting choices as well and i loved the interplay between her character and tom burke's they it's written brilliantly as an uh, an interplay and an interchange and there's one particular scene that's basically a long walking tracking shot where they're talking back and forth and it, it's fantastic and they're both so great at uh acting authentically without it feeling like they're going over the top it's just a very very um very affecting i thought and the ending i was really worried about the ending Mm-hmm. Because uh, as they were leading to it, I was very worried that it would come off as too saccharine or if it wouldn't fit in. And I just felt like the ending was handled perfectly. And then I, we can't really talk about something in this film, can we? But, but I mean, we way... can say, we could go as far as to say that it, it, ha- it has probably the most interesting bookends of any film we've seen this year, for sure. <sighs> It's, um the the way it's set up and the way it's yeah. set up to be a story about how we feel about stories is super interesting and super effective i think every time it comes up through the film you know i think um, we can probably talk about it because it's literally the first time that that tells you this is happening is literally the first shot of the film in the first like seconds it sets yeah i mean yeah, the opening the opening shot the opening shot of the film is of a sound stage like it's that that and it pans over to a set that Florence Pugh is sitting on. Like it's it's a very mm-hmm. interesting setup, and I did sort of I did actually appreciate um, I did appreciate that like from that point on, for like for the rest of the whole movie, basically, I was you know you could basically see the camera off, you know, see the crew or feel the crew behind the camera, mm-hmm. and I felt that mm-hmm. was really interesting. Um, and there's. There's a couple of moments because you you are greeted as audience by um, a voiceover who you find out who it is later. But the um, you, there are a couple of moments in this film where actors look through the camera directly at you, and it is it catches you completely off guard. And it's only done a few times; it's not overdone. But when it does happen, it is absolutely. Uh, what's the right word? Chilling, but in a good way. Like it's absolutely shocking to be addressed directly when you're usually there as a passive audience. It's uh, it it was really effective for me. Yeah, to your point that it wasn't overdone. I would actually argue that it might even have been a little bit underdone. Which might I think if there was even slightly more of it, it might have been a more engaging experience for me. It might have mm-hmm. negated some of the pacing issues. So. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying it's a good movie. You should definitely watch it. But yeah, I don't. Mm. I definitely didn't like it as much as you did. Um, mm. But I did like it. Like, like we already said in this episode, watching Florence Pugh is never time wasted. Not entirely, but anyway. 
she is just, I think, one of these incredible performers who can show so much variety and so much authenticity. And what uh, I didn't realize until I was researching stuff for the podcast that this was the same writer as Lady Macbeth. And yeah. uh, I haven't seen that film. And she's I really, really so... need to watch that. I mean, she's yeah. kind of always good. Um, I distinctly remember having mild whiplash because I think the first two things that I saw Florence Pugh in were was Lady Lady Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't see Lady Macbeth until I had already seen The Commuter, in which she plays like this punk pickpocket person on a commuter train in New York. It's sort of it's the Liam Neeson of, movie? Yeah, she's in that Liam Neeson movie, yeah. Lots of you know, honestly, lots of people are in quote that Liam Neeson movie. Um mm-hmm. like the time that in uh um Lupita Nyong'o shows up in nonstop. Like, there's lots of people in those movies. It's <laughs> pretty great. I thought you were going to mention the um, the wrestling one where she's the the female WWF wrestler, like fighting in my family. The uh, fighting with my family is fighting an excellent film. Uh, like a wonderful crowd pleasing film. Yes. Oh, good. You should definitely. It's definitely like a giant advertisement for the wwe but it's it's like it's a real crowd pleaser like it's uh it's a wonderful movie i really enjoyed it (laughs) um but yeah i mean yeah florence Pugh. she's oh i mean between like 2019 she did fighting with my family and midsummer and little women all in the same year or all came out in the same year and uh i'm pretty sure that was the year i said that she was my favorite performer of the year (laughs) like which makes sense right um, yeah, I have a I have a painting of her uh, of uh, the last frame of Midsummer right over my shoulder, um, and yep. I think this, I see it every time f- we podcast. <laughs> I think that was actually the first movie I'd seen her in. I think, and what a I mean, what a way to start. She, if you haven't seen Midsummer, and I've only seen it once, and it's one of my favorite recent movies, and I'm not sure I'd ever watch it again. Uh, it is an experience that you should watch. But good luck. Like <laughs> strap uh, yeah. in. Um so the director oh. of this, I don't know if, have you watched anything else by Sebastian Lelo? Leo, maybe? I don't know where he's from. Maybe I'm saying his name wrong. Uh, because the direct the direction of this film was so good. Like uh, the framing and the lighting was incredible. He's, so he's Chilean. Uh Sebastian Le uh leo i think leo. Um, yeah leo so he's chilean he's chilean anyway and the answer is yes he directed a movie called um una mujer fantastico or a fantastic woman in 2017 um which i believe won the academy award for best foreign language film that year and it is about a trans woman uh basically existing in the wake of the passing of her lover and it is a thousand percent wonderful. You should definitely, mm-hmm. anyone who hasn't seen a fantastic woman should definitely seek out and watch a fantastic woman. It is a, it is an amazing film. Uh, so yeah, she also did a film or he also did a film called uh, disobedience, which I have not seen, but everyone I know who's seen it says that it is uh, beautiful and wonderful and has mm-hmm. uh, Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weiss in it. Can't be all bad. Can it? Wow. Nope. Can't be can't be any bad. <laughs> no. no. Um so yeah, I mean I don't know which way we're gonna really talk about this movie though. Like we're we I think we both really liked it, right? Like how many stars are you giving to Z- Das Vanda? Uh it's a five star movie for me. Oh wow. Wow, that's yeah, way ahead of me. I, it's, but I mean it's the the, the narrative framing of it. Um, the it just stayed with me so much for a movie to get five stars from me, it has to really affect me and stay with me. And I'm I am like in love with the way stories are told in any form. I just love how stories are told. And this is a movie about how we think about stories being told, told with like theatricality, and then there's the last frames of this movie, I don't fully understand, but absolutely like piercing. And then you've got a, a stand-up performance from Florence Pugh and Tom Burke, and 
then you've got the religious aspects that I feel very strongly about and an ending that I think worked and then the direction of the framing like that it I was so glad it got to the end and didn't screw up the ending for me and so by the end of that I, it really affected me so it was wonderful how about you three just three for me um if if we were to grant half stars it might be three and a half but we don't so it's mm -hmm. three Fair it's a really, enough. it's a really good three but it's just a three um but that's a positive review people like just you know, yeah you should watch it you should definitely watch it there's definitely watch it and it's it's a great whenever anyone says that netflix doesn't make any good movies you can just be like this movie is right here it's right here netflix makes mm -hmm. lots of good movies they just make a shit ton of movies and it's actually, as it turns out, really hard to make a really good movie. So, mm -hmm. yeah. They also, you know, they're making movies for literally every demographic. They're not all yeah. bad. They just aren't all to everyone's taste. So, anyway, so I, weird, could, like, I could go on about this for ages. <laughs> some Netflix movies look so cheap, like so bad and so like strung together. And there are a few, and then you've got other ones like this. And there was another one we watched recently that was exceptional where. It, it, you don't see any of that cheapness and i think it's the um you're right it's just any project that they they want prestige projects but they also want their um stunt movies right they want a face doing like a stunts for an hour and a half uh making their own like cheap jason bourne and i think they, i think they're the just thing, throwing everything at the wall i think the thing that we forget about netflix is that um Everyone wants Netflix to be HBO, and HBO has a reputation for making really high-quality movies and television series, but Netflix is also in competition with, like, the reality channel and mm -hmm. Disney Plus and every other service and studio out there, and they are competing on all of those levels. And I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile thing for most people, and I try to do this with myself uh all the time just to realize that like this isn't i don't this i don't like this but maybe it's just not for me you know mm -hmm. like lots of people lots of people do love that kind of stuff lots of people love the sort of schlocky british lurid mystery type stuff they've been putting out too i don't particularly like it but lots of people love that stuff and mm -hmm. you know it's fine to let them love that stuff it's totally cool i'm glad they found their niche <laughs> what a niche it's very yeah. important when you have a british uh a couple of people solving crimes that you make a pun that's related to their last names um which is then the title of the show that's an integral part of that genre uh, happens too. yeah the best example of which by far is a touch of cloth but anyway <laughs> <laughs> god Anyway, yes. Uh, well, that's I think all we have for the show this week. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, no, I have no idea when we're going to get to see Black Panther, but hopefully soon. Um, do you want to see Black Panther? Of course, I want to see Black Panther. Yes, Ryan Coogler has not made a bad movie in his career. Uh, he gets a free pass for life based on you know his run up to this point. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's funny. Um, and for better or for worse, I still like... I, I'm actually really enjoying this phase of Marvel where they're trying new things and trying to do more than just the same thing over and over again. So, And I think, um, you know, Chadwick Boseman died, and I think it's a really interesting and good, potentially really good choice that they chose to make the movie without his character rather than just recasting it, and I want to see how they did that. Mm -hmm. Um... But, you know, it's it's November. We're heading into big movie release time. We're not going to get to see everything in time for the end of the year. But I did, mm -hmm. I do want to see Black Panther. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Good. Good. I do recommend if you want to, there's a new show on Netflix called Oni, O-N-I, which is um, a stop frame animation. It's a four-part limited series, and there's, there are only 45 minutes each. That is an absolutely adorable take on... Um, Japanese uh, mythology of kami good spirits fighting only bad spirits and uh, it's really beautiful it is it looks again like a kids thing but it is made uh, with the kind of deft 
deft hand that you might see in a uh, who made Kubo and the two strings that that stop frame animation. That's Leica. Uh, Leica. So it feels like a Leica production. It is really really good. So I recommend that if you've got extra time, as I'm sure you do. Uh, as everyone does, for sure, yes. Uh, free time, what a novelty. Yes, yes. Yeah, anyway. So, thank you uh, for listening. Yeah, let's wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we uh, appreciate each and every one of you. It seems like every week there are a few more of you, and we appreciate all of you, just all of you. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we love you all. If you have liked what you've heard, please feel free or compelled even to you know, smash that subscribe button, uh, hit that like button, give us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. We are on basically all of them. Uh, and uh, we do also have a Patreon and a Kofi. And if you'd like to support us a little more directly, you can do that. Uh, all of these things are linked in the show notes. Um, we can be found on the social media. Normally, uh, <laughs> the main place we can be found is Twitter. So as long as Twitter exists, you can find me at SmatthewAF, and you can find Simon at Temporary Pen, and you can find us at AwesomeFridayCA. Um, but if you end up at the website, which again is AwesomeFridays.ca, um, you can find links to where the other places that we are. Because um, who knows? Twitter might be, <laughs> you know, it's going through a phase, we'll say. It's because I don't want to get into the all of it, but uh, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing that's happening. Um, it will be what it will all be worth it, though, to watch that fuckwit lose forty-four billion dollars and be a laughing stock like worldwide. It might just be worth giving up Twitter for. Maybe, as long as he takes down some more of them with him. But anyway. Uh, we record this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. One more time, thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye.